Amen. Thank you. I hope it's a great message. I believe it's a great message. I prepared and studied as if it was a great message. I'm trusting you will think it's a great message. And we shall see what we shall see. Praise the Lord. Uh, prayer, 40 days of prayer. We met at 730. What a turnout, you know, it was snowy and uh, challenging, but a uh, great turnout this morning. So thank you, thank you, thank you. If you're here in the sanctuary and you showed up at 730 this morning to pray, I appreciate that so much. And uh, next Sunday, we'll do it again and just call on the name of the Lord. This Wednesday, we'll have a teaching on prayer. My wife is going to ha- has a great uh, insight on prayer. She's going to be sharing that this Wednesday. Day, plus we'll have a time of prayer. We have a 40-day devotional. And uh, have, has it been a blessing to you, the 40-day devotional? I hope it has. If it's been a blessing for you, just let me know. Very good. Very good. Praise the Lord. All right. So I want to teach on prayer. Last week I talked about prayer and the Word of God and how if the Word of God abides in you, then you will ask what you desire and it shall be done. It tells us that in John chapter 15. Here in Psalm 27, I want to talk about prayer and waiting. Prayer and waiting. Because I've learned that waiting on God is a lifestyle. You know, it's something we're all called to do. And Psalms 27 verses 12 to 14, it reads as follows. This is a psalm of David. He's obviously going through a very challenging time, uh, surrounded by enemies. uh, And he says this. He's praying to God. He says to the Lord, do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries. For false witnesses have risen against me as such as breathe out violence. And then he now testifies to us. I would have lost heart, grown discouraged or fainted unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And now as if God is speaking through him a command, wait on the Lord, be of good courage. He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. How many of you are waiting on God for the coming of the Lord? You should be. The Bible tells you to wait for the coming of the Lord. How many of you are waiting on God for a promise to be fulfilled? All right, very good. How about for a word from God for your life? You're waiting God for a word from God. How about for a specific direction? Anybody waiting God for? And how about this? For just simply God to answer. You're waiting on God. What does it mean to wait on God? Well, let's try to define it for us here today. Waiting on God means to endure patiently in confident hope that God will decisively act. I love that definition. Waiting on God means to endure patiently. So waiting on God has the idea of patience in confident hope that God will act. So waiting on God is patiently hoping for God to move for God to speak, for God to ask. Those who wait in faith are renewed with strength so that they can continue to serve the Lord while looking for his answer. Waiting does not mean sitting back helplessly. It means to gather strength. When you wait on God, you are being faithful to God. When you wait in faith, you remain in your place while God is at work behind the scenes. Waiting has the idea of keeping calm in the storm while carrying on the work of the Lord. Calm in the storm. So waiting on the Lord is, that you know, you should not be losing strength or losing hope or losing faith, but rather gathering strength, gathering hope, gathering faith, right? As you wait on the Lord. 
The word wait in the Hebrew literally means to entwine yourself, to entwine yourself. So I have here just an illustration. The Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. So there's three strands here. One strand represents God. Another strand represents his promise. And this final strand represents you. And waiting on God means to entwine yourself. So you by yourself are weak or not as strong, but uh, as you entwine yourself, entwine yourself waiting on the Lord. So you're waiting on God to answer. You're waiting on God to fulfill a promise. You're waiting on God to speak from heaven. You're waiting on the Lord to uh, deliver you. You're waiting on the Lord for a specific word. And as you wait, you are entwining yourself around the Lord. And what happens is you gather strength. You become stronger. That's the idea. If you're getting weaker, waiting on the Lord through the weeks, months, or years, you're not doing it appropriately. You're not exercising your faith. But as you wait on the Lord, you wind yourself around the Lord and his promise, and you become stronger. That makes sense? You just become stronger. Wait, I say, on the Lord, like it says there in Psalm 27. One person uh, defined waiting on the Lord like this. To remain in your seat, buckle up, for the ride is bumpy. (laughs) Sometimes the ride does get bumpy, doesn't it? The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12, that it's through faith and patience. That's the idea of waiting, right? Faith and patience that we inherit the promises. So waiting on God is a lifestyle. We know that David was anointed to be king when he was age 17, but he didn't become king over all Israel till he was 37. He waited for the calling to be realized for 20 years. That's a long time. Joseph, when he was 17, received a dream from God that his brothers and his father would bow before him. Joseph became a prince in Egypt at age 30. He waited 13 years for that promotion. Another nine years passed before his brothers came the first time and bowed before him. So Joseph was 39 when his brothers bowed before him. He was 17 when he received that dream. He waited 22 years. Abraham is a great example in the Bible of somebody waiting on a promise. God spoke to him when he was 75 years of age that he'd have a child. He was 100 years of age when he had that child. He was 25 years old, waiting on the Lord. Daniel prayed and prayed and prayed and believing God for an answer. The scripture says he waited 21 days for God to answer. Jesus in the wilderness, 40 days praying, fasting. Finally, God answers, sends angels, strengthens him, and ministers to him, and he received the power from God. 40 days, 21 days, 25 years, 27 years, whatever it might be. Sometimes we can't put a timetable on it. All I'm saying is, you're going to have to wait. You're going to have to wait. And do we like to wait We don't like to wait. You don't like to wait at the red light. You don't want to wait for dinner. You don't want to like to wait for the husband to to get done shaving so you can finally go shopping. You just don't want to wait, do you? Waiting on God, it's a command, it's a promise, it's a testimony. Let's take a look at it here this morning. It's a command, it's a promise, 
It's a testimony. Psalm 27, that's the command. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Just like David, if you are in a great trial, wait on God. That's what David did. He says he's surrounded by enemies. False witnesses have risen up against him. He would have grown discouraged or despaired. I would have despaired a lost heart unless I had believed. Then he says, wait on the Lord. And so you're not doing it right if you're not exercising your faith while waiting. But if you are believing while waiting, you will gain strength and gain courage. That makes sense? You gain strength and gain courage when you wait on God by believing and still holding fast to the promises of God. Believe as you wait on God, and as you do, you will hope in the Lord. You gather courage and strength in the waiting. You're not supposed to grow weaker in the waiting. You're supposed to gather courage and strength in the waiting. So it's a command to wait. Wait, I say on the Lord. Wait. How many want to obey God's commands? He's commanding you to wait. <laughs> oh, joy. <laughs> I can just tell the, the joy of the Lord is bubbling up. How about this one? Waiting on the Lord is a promise. We all know Isaiah 40, verse 31, one of the best verses on waiting. It's, that's the promise. The scripture tells us in Isaiah 40, 31, those who wait on the Lord, here's the promise, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. There's your promise that if you will wait on the Lord, you're going to be strengthened by God. You're going to be strengthened in your inner man. There's something about waiting on God. And how do you wait on the Lord? Well, there's different ways of waiting on God. It's essentially a lifestyle. That as you're walking your walk and running your race and doing your work or, or fulfilling your ministry, there's an attitude of waiting, an attitude of looking to God. So you can be waiting on God while being busy for Jesus. Waiting on God does not necessarily mean I resign from all activity. I can't do anything because I'm waiting on the Lord. No, waiting on the Lord is something that is a lifestyle right? The church has been waiting on the Lord to come a second time for over 2,000 years. And what does he say as you wait on him? Be busy or occupy till I come. There's a great commission to fulfill. So we're supposed to be working and serving as we wait on God. That makes sense? Wait on God. You will Renew your strength. The Bible says you will mount up with wings like an eagle. So as you wait on God, uh, the, the wind uh, obviously uh, represents the Spirit of God as it lifts your spirit, right? It comes into you and lifts you and gives you that place of rest, right? I've talked about this before, the different types of birds and how they fly. And uh, there's a type of bird like an eagle, which I have a blessing since I got to Kensington. There's eagles at Kensington, bald eagles, and uh, you see them up high, and uh, they're just mounting up, right? The, the wind is burying them, and they're not working hard. They're, they're, their wings are extended, and the current is just underneath them, and uh, they are seemingly without any effort whatsoever flying, flying, flying. That's the idea. That's the picture. You know, little tiny birds just flap so hard, right? That's not the picture of waiting, like this. 
In other words, the Lord is your strength and your power. The wind of the Holy Spirit is yours, right? And he is bearing you up. As you wait, you are supernaturally carried by the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure how. I'm not sure why. But I have peace. That's what happens when you wait on the Lord. Father, I'm just looking to you. I'm believing your promises. I haven't seen it come to pass yet. But I'm in faith. I'm staying in faith, and there is a pouring in of God's supernatural strength. Also, you will run and not grow weary. That means in the pursuit of your life's call, because you run the race that is set before you. That's your life's calling. You run that race. The Bible says if you, if you wait on the Lord, the Scripture says that you will run and not grow weary. In other words, God will give you grace for your lifetime in the pursuit of the calling and mission of God, the race, the race. Each one of you has a race to run, a calling to fulfill, a purpose to be a part of, right? Each one of you do. And if you wait on the Lord, that attitude of entwining yourself with his word and his promise, you will not grow weary. In other words, he'll give you strength to finish that race. Praise the Lord. And then the final one, you shall walk and not faint. That's your daily walk. Just each and every day, he'll give you strength for the day, grace for the day, energy for the moment, overcoming power to meet whatever that daily challenge might be. So waiting on God is a command. Waiting on God is a promise. Waiting on God is a testimony. David writes in Psalm 40, it's a testimony, right? He's going to tell you what happened when he waited on God. He says this in Psalm 40, verses 1 to 3. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, set my feet on a rock, and established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth, praise to our God. Many will see it in fear, and they will trust in the Lord. So this can be your testimony. If you wait on God, that God will bring you up and out. He will establish you and strengthen you. He will give you a song of praise and make your life a testimony. Many will see it and trust in the Lord, right? How many want that kind of testimony? So Psalm 40, it's a testimony that if you do wait on God, you won't spend your whole life not receiving the promise. God will come, he will be faithful, he will show up, he will answer your call, he will give you that direction, he will come through for you. That's the promise, that will be our testimony. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. Amen. So waiting on God is a testimony, a promise, and is also a command. I'm going to share with you a couple things you're not supposed to do when you wait on God. You ready? This will bring some correction. Don't do this when you're waiting on God. Go look at the life of Abraham, because I think he is the example of waiting on God. Like I said, 25 years he had to wait for the promise of Isaac, 25 years, and it became hopeless. But Romans chapter 4 says at that time, who... Against hope, believed in hope. In other words, when it was hopeless, he still had hope. That's what that means. Abraham, number one, don't redefine the promise. As you wait, don't redefine the promise. 
God told Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 that he was going to bless him and give him a seed and that he was going to bless all through that seed. All the nations of the earth was going to be blessed. So that's the promise in Genesis chapter 12. Ten years passed between Genesis 12 and Genesis 15. Ten years. Ten is the number of testing. How many realize you're going to be tested? You're going to be tested. That may sound going to be tested. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a test to me. No, don't say that. I'm sorry. This is what it says in Genesis 15. This is 10 years after the original promise, you're going to have a child. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, and aren't you glad that God gives you a promise and then reiterates that promise and re-gives that promise and encourages you again and again? Well, that's what the Lord is doing. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceeding great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me seeing I, seeing I go childless? So it's been 10 years, right? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Then Abraham said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. So here he is redefining the promise. You told me I would have a seed, but I got this servant, not from me, but from somebody else. But he's my servant. He's the heir. He's the promise. Lo, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir. God is reiterating what he means. But you, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. You see, it was custom for a childless couple to adopt a servant as an heir to take the place of a firstborn son. At this time, like I said, Abraham had been waiting for 10 years. So don't try to redefine the promise. It's another way of saying this. Don't settle for less than God's best. Don't settle for less than God's best. God promised Abraham a son, a son from his own body. And you know, it's been 10 years. Okay, all right. Well, obviously that ain't happening. Uh, my servant. He's of my household. He's not from me, but he's of my house. Is that it, Lord? Is that? And the Lord had to say, no, that's not it. The Lord had to reiterate the promise to him. Don't settle for less. You know, I've seen this happen sometimes as a, as a temptation when somebody has been promised a godly spouse and some years have taken place and that godly spouse hasn't materialized and then they try to redefine and settle for less than God's best. Don't ever settle for less than God's best. Hold out in your waiting. Keep waiting. Keep believing. Number two, don't leave your place of assignment. In Genesis chapter 12, there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt. Now, God gave him the promised land, says, this is your land. Abram went down to Egypt. God never told him to go to Egypt. You know, there was a famine in the land. The land was the place where Abram was supposed to be. That was the promised land. Sometimes you're right smack dab in the will of God, doing the will of God where you need to be, and sometimes you're tested. Sometimes you're tried right then and there. Don't leave your assignment. So there's a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. Listen to what it says on Psalm 37. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. 
Stay in place. God will be faithful to you. God could have kept Abraham in Canaan land, even though there's a severe famine. He could have kept him there. Abraham decided he wanted to relocate because it was challenging. Sometimes it gets challenging. You're tired of waiting on God. You're tired of doing the will of God. You're doing the will of God and things aren't working out right. You're in like a severe famine. There seems to be a scarcity. Stay put. Dwell in the land. Feed on the faithfulness of God. Remember, you follow the Lord. The Lord does not follow you. Don't change your place. Don't change your location where God has placed you. You stay there, even though it might be challenging, right? Have you ever tried to move away from your problems? It never works. How you leave is how you enter. So if you leave discouraged, unbelieving, full of anxiety, worn out, and you'll enter that new place the exact same way. Always remember, your problem follows you, and your biggest problem is you. In other words, you will carry yourself. You can't escape it. But my pastor, Pastor Judkins, he always had this statement, and I've carried it with me all these years, as now, so then. As now, so then. He was talking about people in his church, and they had a, quote, a missionary call, and they wanted to go overseas or to another nation and there be a missionary and there serve the Lord and there do these great things. But uh, they were overcome by problems. They were living a life of discouragement. Uh, they had trouble overcoming right where they were at, but yet they think that if they go over there, all of a sudden they're going to get this great anointing and they're going to be this overcoming, giant-killing type of person. As now, so then. If you can't overcome right where you're at, don't think you're going to overcome right over there. Because you carry yourself with you. All right? Don't leave your place of assignment if it gets to... Now, obviously, if God is leading you, you need to follow, right? But don't think that he's in your journey just simply because you have decided. All right, number three, don't try to make it happen. In Genesis 16, verse 2, Sarah said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid, which was Hagar. I shall obtain children by her. And Abram said, okay. Well, that would come from his body. That's not like Eliezer, it's a servant born in the house that wasn't from him. God said, I'll give you a child from your body, Abraham. So all of a sudden Sarah's saying, okay, well, uh, you know, my womb is dead, but uh, uh, it'll come from your body, so I'll give you my concubine, and it'll be a child from you, Abraham. But you see, God wanted it to be from Abraham and Sarah. He says, your wife. How long had it been now here in Genesis 16? 24 years. They're one year away. Sister Jen Forstoff is going to come up and talk about how you're not supposed to make the promise happen. Give her a round of applause, all right? Well, good morning. Pastor asked if I would share just for a few minutes. And as I hear this story about Sarah, I see myself a lot in Sarah, where she wanted to make it happen her way. She thought she could plan out 
this promise that was supposed to be fulfilled. I think back when my husband and I were about to finish college and planning our future together, we knew we wanted to be married, and he had the call of God in his life to go into the ministry. And with that, we were seeking the Lord. Lord, where should we go? Where will you take us? And God was calling my husband back here to Michigan. Well, me, I had decided in my own mind, I'm not leaving Oklahoma. (laughs) This is where I want to be. This is where my family is. This is what's comfortable and familiar to me. And so I had drawn a line in the sand and thought, okay, well, that's the promise and the purpose of God, but it needs to fall within these parameters. (laughs) It needs to be here. So I remember having conversations with him. You need to find a job here. (laughs) I'm not going anywhere. We need to stay here. And I remember the more we talked about it over the next few weeks, more and more as he sought the Lord, he felt God confirming that he does in fact need to come here. And honestly, I wasn't seeking the Lord. I wasn't surrendering my heart to him. And I got more and more stubborn in my ways thinking, nope, we're staying here. I'm not going anywhere. And I remember one day, just this point of frustration where I realized, okay, God, I'm ready to talk to you about this. And I was going to ask God to change his heart. (laughs) But I remember going to the Lord, and I remember before entering a time of prayer, he said, are you willing to pray? And I knew exactly what that meant. Was I even willing to consider that the promise of God would play out differently than my plan? And so it was in that moment when I just surrendered my heart to the Lord, there was a total shift in my heart where I felt that grace to leave. I felt that desire to move here. That's the Lord. <laughs> I was excited for adventure. I was, I was ready to take this step with, with Luke. And it was the Lord that just transformed my heart. And I realized I can't set parameters on the promises of God. But there are two things that I feel like the Lord has been teaching me. And it was just about two years ago during worship. You know how we have opportunities where we can come forward for prayer during worship. And my husband and I came forward, and I felt real burdened to just pray for uh, my daughter, Charlotte. And as we came forward, just praying right here, and I was just asking God, God, would you just touch her? We need to see miracles in her life and her health, and we need to see breakthrough in different areas. And it was in that moment that the Lord dropped a promise in my heart for her. I felt him say to my heart that she's going to go from strength to strength and glory to glory. And it was in that moment when I received that promise, I I realized that I was invited to do two things, two things when I received that promise, that I could in fact participate in that promise with the Lord. I believe that as the Lord was calling uh, my daughter, giving her that promise that she's going to go from strength to strength, that I could be a part of that. You know, it talks about in 1 Corinthians how we can be co-laborers with Christ. And as I would believe on that promise that she'd go from strength to strength and glory to glory, I had my part to play in that as a parent. Isn't that awesome how God invites us to be a part of that process of that promise fulfilled? And so what did that mean? That meant, you know, getting extra tutoring for her and being diligent with those doctor's appointments and following through with things at home. And I could participate in that promise that the Lord had given me, that she would go from strength to strength and from glory to glory. And another thing that I believe that we're invited to do when we are given that promise from the Lord is simply to pray that promise. You know, we've been having great teachings on Wednesday nights from Rick Warren, and I kind of dove into some more Rick Warren studies on prayer. And he said, you know, when we go to the Lord with supplication and we have a need, if he gives us a promise, our prayers need to change. We no longer need to 
petition. We no, no longer need to ask God to do that thing because he's given us a promise. We begin to pray that promise. And so my prayers began to change for Charlotte where I would say, God, thank you that she is going from strength to strength. And I would cause my heart and my mind to, to focus and thank God on the things that we are seeing uh, gains and progress in her life. And so it changed my, it changed my prayers. And so I've learned that no, I can't set parameters for the promises of God. It's not going to happen my way, but I'm invited to participate in the promises of God and I can pray those promises. Thank you. Awesome. 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 Thank you, Jen. I have down in, in my notes, an action rooted in impulsiveness, unbelief, or self-will will always produce bitter fruit. Don't try to make it happen. Workaholics are always trying to make it happen. If you're a workaholic, the Lord's talking to you today. Stop trying to make it happen. God can take care of you. You don't have to work seven days a week. You can work and trust God Rest in God. He can prosper you. He can be your provision. He can help you, right? Am I right about that? One final one. We talked about don't leave your place of assignment. We talked about don't redefine the promise. We talked about don't try to make it happen. How about this? Don't grow weak in faith. Don't give up in your waiting. Just one chapter over, it's still the same timeline. So this is about one year before Isaac is given, so it's about 24 years, just like in Genesis 16, about 24 years of waiting. God is speaking to Abraham, and Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Oh, that Ishmael might live. Look at that. Ishmael might live before you. Ishmael was the offspring of Abraham and Hagar. That's, That's not what God wanted. And now here he is. Then 24 years in the waiting, and he's saying, oh, yes, that's it. That's the promise. That's it. That's it. That's the promise. Nope. Nope, it wasn't. It wasn't. See, he was growing weak in faith, as it were. So, okay, then, well, that's the fulfillment. That Certainly, it won't be from me and my wife. That can't happen. That's an impossibility. That's too big of a challenge. Listen, God's given you promises Don't grow weak in faith. Have you given up? Have you given up in waiting? I've done that before. Lord, I'm tired of waiting on this promise. Lord, I'm just going to set it aside. I'm no longer going to believe you. I don't want to be a fool in believing in something that maybe you really didn't promise me. You know what the Lord does? He's been very gracious to me. He comes and reiterates that promise. No, you didn't mishear me. I've given it to you. I know I haven't fulfilled it yet. I know you're waiting, but I don't want you to give up. I've spoken this to you, and I'm going to confirm it two, three times so that you might know that I have spoken. Don't give up. Wait on me. When you wait on the Lord, gather strength. Become stronger in faith. Keep holding and being patient. It's through faith and patience we inherit the promises. Three prayers to pray when you're waiting. Number one, strengthen me to wait patiently. Number two, help me to enjoy the journey to that promise, right? If you're like me, you don't enjoy the journey. You enjoy the destination. Just as simple as a road trip. I never enjoy the car ride. 
My wife enjoys the car ride. I don't enjoy the car ride. How many, how many of you realize that can cause some uncomfortableness? Absolutely. Enjoying the journey, number three, keep me from foolish shortcuts. Strengthen me to wait patiently. Help me to enjoy the journey. Keep me from foolish shortcuts. You need to pray one of those three prayers. Some of you need to pray two of those three prayers. God help you, but there are a few of you that need to pray all three of those prayers. (laughs) Bow your heads in the presence of the Lord. Which prayer do you need to pray? Let's be honest before God. As your head is bowed, if you need to pray prayer number one, which is strengthen me to wait patiently, I just want you to hold out one finger, all right? You don't have to hold it up, just hold it out. I need to pray that prayer. If you need to pray prayer number two, help me to enjoy the journey, I want you to hold out two fingers. Lord, that's the prayer. Help me to enjoy the process, the journey, waiting on you, serving you until the promise comes. If you need to pray prayer number three, keep me from foolish shortcuts, hold out three fingers right now. Lord, help me not to make a mistake. Help me not to plan it out. Help me not to try to make it happen. Help me not redefine this. Help me not to make a foolish shortcut. Prayer number three. If you need to do all three, just hold a fist. That fist represents you punching God. (laughs) Nah, we don't want to do that. That fist represents you just surrendering. How about instead of a fist, how about this, an open hand? That sounds better, doesn't it? You need to pray all three prayers in open hand. Say, Lord, I'm, I'm just open to you. I'm surrendered to you right now. I'm surrendered to you right now. Waiting on God. Prayer and waiting on God. Prayer and waiting on God. Hallelujah. With your heads bowed, if you're here today and you've never given your heart to Jesus, and you'd like me to pray with you to surrender your life to the Lord, to give your heart to Christ, just raise your hand. I'll pray with you. If you're here today in this service and you want to give your heart to Jesus, you want me to pray with you, just lift up your hand. Lift up your hand. Raise it up high so I can see it. 